It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Philip Hartman. Well, good morning and welcome to Daily Thunder this morning. Uh, my name is Philip Hartman. I'm on the staff here at Ellerslie, and occasionally I do uh, different Daily Funders and fill in when, when somebody's out of town. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing our series in Psalm 16. Uh, so, some six weeks ago, we started this, and if you'd like to listen to the first part of it, which covers the first three verses, you can go back and, and listen to that. I think it's just called Psalm 16, verses 1 through 3 in the podcast. So, if you're listening to a podcast, you can go back a few weeks, listen to the first part, and that'll get you caught up. Today is our second part in that series, and we're covering verses 4 through 6. Why don't we pray, and we'll get started. Lord, this morning as we come before your word, we recognize that it is the supreme authority over our lives. And Lord, we recognize that it's only through the realities that this word teaches that we can have life. And so, Lord, we pray that we would understand it, that we would comprehend it, that it wouldn't just be nice thoughts or nice theories or, or nice words, but that we would understand that which you are seeking to communicate about who you are, that we would see Christ in it, and as we behold him and as we see him, that we would love him with our whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. Lord, this morning we rejoice in the reality to be your people and that you should be our God, that you are our inheritance, our portion, our cup. And Lord, as we rejoice in that reality this morning, we pray that it would just be an ever-growing conscious thought in our mind, as it were, that you are ours. What a joy, Lord. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gospel that we can rejoice in this morning. It's in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 16. So we're going to start, let's just read through the psalm, and then we will do a little bit of review of our last, uh, or the first three verses, and then we'll dive into verses 4 through 6. So if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm 16. This is a miktam of David. And again, a miktam is this idea of, of it's this idea of a precious or a, a golden reality or truth in this psalm. David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are a portion of my inheritance in my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. 
Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So a couple of quick things to review on this psalm. It was written by David, and it was most likely written when David was fleeing from Saul. We know just by the context of it, it was fleeing when he was in a time of great difficulty. But very likely it was when he was fleeing from Saul, who was, who was persecuting David and seeking to, to kill David. And that's the context of the psalm. Interestingly, in the histories of Israel, is also a song that would be sung around the time of death. So it was oftentimes something that would be thought about and considered not only by those who were dying, that if someone was dying, this would be something they'd be meditating upon, but also it would be something that those who were watching them die would be meditating upon. So, for example, and this is really profound as we continue to get into the psalm, as Jesus was going to be crucified, this would have been a psalm that would have been on everybody's mind, that they all would have been pondering and considering these words and the things expressed in this psalm. And we, walk, we talked through verses 1 through 3 a few weeks ago, and we talked about three different layers or perspectives on this And we're going to talk about these three layers again today. Uh, Number one, how does this psalm tell us what David is thinking or what is he trying to express? The original author of this was David. What was he trying to express to us in this psalm? Number two, how does this psalm reveal Jesus Christ? What do we see about Jesus? What is is being foretold about him? This is a, a psalm that is all about Jesus. And how do we see Jesus in it? And then number three... How does this psalm relate to us? In other words, what are the implications of this psalm in regards to how we ought to live, how we ought to be conformed to the image of Christ, and how we ought to view him? So I'll just read verses 1 through 3 again. He says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. And this idea of putting your trust is this idea of taking refuge, that he was fleeing to God and, 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 and putting his confidence, taking his refuge in God. He then talks to himself. So first he's talking to the Lord, then he talks to himself or his soul. He says, oh my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. So he's reminding himself of that which he has confessed, which is that God is his Lord, not just Lord in general of all, but that he is Lord specifically of his life. And so he's bringing back these realities that he has confessed, his confession, as it were, of Jesus Christ being Lord. He's reminding himself of that. He says, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. And if you think about that in the context here, and we're going to get into this a little bit, but the the context again is David fleeing from Saul. And in some of the circumstances uh, surrounding this, if you can imagine, here you are, you've been anointed as the king of Israel. You are the rightful king, and yet the king who is unlawfully on the throne is seeking to kill you. And, And if you can imagine David, particularly with a circumstance with Doeg, who we're going to talk about a little bit, killed all the priests, or, or a huge uh, portion of them, you can imagine that David could very easily begin to look at himself and measure himself on, well, if I had done the right thing, then maybe Saul wouldn't be persecuting me. 
If, if I had done this, maybe the priest wouldn't have died. And yet here he says, you are my Lord. I'm submitting to you. I'm seeking you. I'm following you. My goodness is nothing apart from you, is his confession. And he goes on, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And we talked about this idea that anyone who confesses our Lord as his Lord, this is going to be the natural outflow, is delighting in the saints of God who are the excellent ones in the earth. So let's go and dive into Psalms, or into verses 4 through 6, and take a look at these. It says this, Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a good inheritance. And so let's talk about this in terms of how it relates to David. So we know that David is fleeing from Saul, and and it's interesting because he says, I take my refuge in you. That though he is fleeing from Saul and he goes to the cave of Adullam, that his refuge is not in a cave somewhere. His refuge is not in, in the sword of Goliath, which he had. His refuge was in the Lord. And so it makes sense then that in contrast to him trusting in the Lord, taking refuge in the Lord, that he would say, in contrast to that, that the sorrows of those who hasten after another God will be multiplied that here he is hastening or fleeing to the Lord and in contrast to that he talks about those who, who, who seek after another God their sorrows will be multiplied so in David's time there was a lot of idolatry in the land of Israel at that time especially in these early days before David became king you see this different idolatry even the fact that you have Doag the Edomite who, who was a foreigner, an idolater, right there in their midst. So was some of the culture of idolatry, even within the, the house of God that you see going on there. And so there's idolatry going on, and, and the whole idea of idolatry is this. The idea is, is that you have different gods, and so if you want food, you go to this god, and you get food from this god. And if you want to win a battle, you go to this God. If you want to, to have babies, you go to this God. And then you God for all the different things that you want. And that's the whole idea of idolatry. It has nothing to do with loving the Lord your God of all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. There is no love for an idol. It's, well, I go do this for this idol because I want something from that idol. That's the concept of idolatry, is seeking to gain something or get something. And, and, and well, if I have to do this, then I do that. And it's worshiping that, though, which is not as our God, who is able, but that which is dumb, has no eyes and no ears. And there's multiple different ways in which the sorrows of those who seek after idolatry will be multiplied. A, because those idols cannot give life. They, they, they can give nothing. They cannot speak back. They cannot give that which they were after. And B, because of the judgment of God that comes upon those who seek after idols. And so here in the midst of a time when David is in great difficulty and in great danger, he says, I'm not going to look for my preservation 
I'm not going to look for my rest. I'm not going to look for my sustainment to anything outside of my God. But he is my refuge, that he is my strength, that he is the one that I will seek after. Those that, that hasten after another God, their sorrows will be multiplied, and yet I'm going to look to him alone. And he goes on to talk about their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. And again, this is this whole idolatrous mindset, which is, well, if I give this, if I, if I drink of a drink offering of blood, or if I take their names upon my lips, even today, if you go to some countries where idolatry is still a norm, for example, India or, or other places like that, it's very common if you're passing by a temple to say the name of that God or, or to take up their name upon your lips as a way of, of trying to provoke or, or bring supplication for something. And he says, I will not look into that. For those who hasten after another God, their sorrows will be multiplied. But he goes on, and he says, O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Now, this is really interesting that David says this, because David was of a tribe of Judah, and if you go back to when the land of Israel was being divided up amongst the different tribes, and, and you walk through this in different books in the Pentateuch, it's being divided up amongst different tribes, and yet Judah actually had a certain portion of land, and David very likely would have received very little of that because he wasn't the oldest son. So he's like, you know, the lowest on the totem pole in his family. So he wasn't going to receive a lot anyways. However, he would have had some sort of inheritance along with his brothers in, in terms of a place to live in the land of Judah as, as one of the people there in Judah. And of course, this is still when all the tribes are united, but Judah had a certain inheritance in the land but the Levites, they had no inheritance in the land. The Levites, their inheritance was the Lord himself. So it's really interesting here because David is talking more like a Levite than he is like a man of a tribe of Judah. Because all throughout the Pentateuch, you have a statement of the Levites didn't get anything because the Lord is their inheritance. And you know, it can be easy when you're reading through it to sort of think, wow, poor Levites. <laughs> they didn't get any land. And yet you recognize the great honor that who cares about the land? The Lord himself was their inheritance. That they had the privilege of being keepers of the temple of God, and he himself became their inheritance. But here David is of the tribe of Judah, and yet he is talking like a Levite here. And, and he recognizes that not only was the Lord the inheritance of the Levites, but that the Lord is the inheritance of those of faith. But here David is, he's being, he's being pursued by Saul, he's living in a cave, and yet he says, my inheritance is good, because it's the Lord. That the Lord himself, and, and you recognize inheritance in our American or Western culture is a very different thing when, than it was back then. You see, in the land of Israel, your inheritance was your life. Without your inheritance, you didn't have life. Without that plot of land to produce the fruit and the, the, whatever else they, they produce, the grains and all that, you had no sustenance, you had no life. And so inheritance was this idea of that which sustains you. It was that which kept you. 
It was that which was able to, to keep your family. And yet here David is. He has no land. He's living in a cave. He's got all the destitute and the poor and the needy around him. And yet he says, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. And the idea here of my cup is the idea that, that the cup is that, a life or sustenance. That when they drank, as it were, that the, the wine or the grape juice, that it was the life of that grape, and it was the sustenance of the man. And this idea of, of you are my cup. But the cup also had this idea of position. Uh, for example, you see a little bit of that even with some of the cups in, in the story of, of Joseph in Egypt. The cup had this idea of, of a position in terms of a cup that you had. And so he says, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. He says, the lines have fallen to me. The lines here meaning the, the, the boundaries of my inheritance and pleasant places. Yea, I have a good inheritance. What would it look like if in our lives, when we were in the midst of trouble, in the midst of, of difficulty and trials, if we could also declare, the Lord is my, my inheritance. Yea, I have a good inheritance. And that his focus was not upon the, the pursuit of the, the things of this world or hastening after the gods of this world and, and hastening after the comforts of this world and, and the other things that the men of this world pursue after. But then in the midst of his trial, he says, Lord, I'm looking to you for refuge. But you have the sorrows of those who seek after another God. They'll be multiplied. But you, O oh Lord, you are my inheritance and my inheritance is good. He recognized the inheritance as to those who are of the faith. So let's talk about the psalm a little bit in terms of how it relates to Jesus. Now I want to read a little bit in Psalm 52, and I read this when we talked about verses 1 through 3 as well, because this is a very similar psalm in terms of this psalm is David fleeing from Saul, the other psalm is specifically when you have David and Doag the Edomite. And you see a lot of similarities between the two. So Psalm 52 says this, To the chief musician, a contemplation of David, when Doag the Edomite went and told Saul, and said to him, David has gone to the house of Ahimelech. So Ahimelech was the priest. I don't know if you remember, David went in, him and his, his men ate the showbread, he took the, the sword of Goliath, and then left and Doag was there, and if you can read this in 1 Samuel 21, 22, but Doag was there in, in the house of Ahimelech, and David actually says that he knew that Doag was going to take it to Saul. So he had some sort of understanding that Doag was not trustworthy when he was there in the house. But what happens is Doag the Edomite takes the news to Saul, and then Saul tells them, go and get Ahimelech, so he brings Ahimelech, and there's about 85 priests that come before Saul. And Saul then tells his guard to kill him. And the people say, no, we're not going to touch the priests of God. And so when he looks at Doag and says, you kill him, and Doag kills all 85 of the priests. He literally butchers the priests of the Lord. Talk about one who's hastening after other gods. Not only is he hastening after them, but destroying the very servants of God that he had ordained to serve in his house. And then not only that, but then he goes back to, I think it's Nod is the name of a place where Ahimelech lived and the priests lived and destroys a bunch of the, the babies and the children and the mothers that had, had I think the term is, uh, they were breastfeeding children 
and, and the, the donkeys and the mules. In other words, he butchered that town and that community, this place where the Lord had these servants. And this is the psalm that David writes. Why do you boast in evil, almighty man? The goodness of God endures continually. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. Selah. You love all devouring words, your deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you forever. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. Again, you see this, this contrast of the, the goodness of God endures continually, and yet those who hasten after another God, their sorrows shall multiply. The righteous also shall see in fear and shall laugh at him, saying, Here is a man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Now, this is really interesting because Doai the Edomite very likely was an idolater. And yet here, the, the, the other God that he's hastening after is riches. It's actually the, the, the other God that he's pursuing after. And I don't know, was he rewarded by, by some sort of riches by Saul? I don't know. I, we don't know exactly what happened there. But we know that his trust and his confidence was found in his riches. And if you go back and you look at the, the, betrayal, the betrayal of Jesus, there's actually some really interesting similarities in regards to Judah and the way that he betrayed Jesus and Doag and the way that he betrayed David and the priests. He says, but he trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name for it is good. And then Luke 23, this is Jesus as he's being led to, to go be crucified. Starting in verse 27, it says this, And a great multitude of the people followed him, and the women also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore, and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? And it's really interesting that here Jesus talks about the green wood, and, and in other words, the time when he is here upon the earth, that they are hastening after another God, killing him, and their sorrows will be multiplied. That there will be a time come when, when literally they'll cry out to the mountains to fall upon them. And in contrast, David, during this time, or, or in comparison, calls himself a green olive tree. And, and a green olive tree where? In the house of God. That the sorrows of those who hasten after God, after other gods, will be multiplied. But those who trust in him as our inheritance have a goodly inheritance. So let's talk about the psalm in terms of how does this relate to us. Isaiah 57 says this, When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. 
but the wind will carry all of them up and a breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me will inherit the land and will possess my holy mountain. And so this should challenge us in regards to what sort of things do we hasten after? Are we turning to something outside of God for our security, our comfort, our provision? Because idolatry had a lot to do with provision. Same with adultery, and, and, and idolatry is, is called spiritual adultery. So, for example, if you go to the book of Hosea, and, and Hosea is talking about this whole idea of Israel's adultery towards God and their idolatry. One of the things that you see in Hosea's wife is that she goes back and it comments over and over, she went back and she ate the bread of her other lovers. See, this wasn't just about a sexual perversion, but, but this is about seeking your provision somewhere else. That part of the adultery was, rather than trusting in her husband, she was going to others for her provision. And you recognize this is the idea of idolatry. Rather than trusting in our Lord for our provision, rather than, than, than looking to him as our refuge, rather than fleeing to him and hastening after him as our soul strength, as our soul life, it, it's seeking somewhere else. Rather than looking to him as our cleansing for our conscience, it's looking somewhere else. You know, it's interesting that they would, that they would sing this when somebody was dying as a meditation before death. And, and is this idea of even in death, where is my confidence? Where, is, where, where am I looking? What is my pursuit? Because the reality is we will be hastening towards God's. We will be hastening, whether it's the one true God or false gods, we will be seeking after a God. But it's really interesting as well. First John chapter 5, the, the very final words of First John, here's what John says. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. And I've always thought that's probably one of the strangest endings to any of the epistles, if not the strangest one. But he goes through this whole thing. He doesn't talk about idols the entire way through. And then here's the last statement. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Okay, we're done. And it's really this, this interesting finish here, but it shows you the significance as children of God of keeping ourselves from pursuing or hastening after other gods. But it's also interesting because if you look, and I'll, I'll turn there at First John, at the first chapter, he gives us one of the reasons why he's writing this epistle. And he says it here, in verse 4, he says, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. And then he closes the book, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Why do you write that? That their joy may be full. And so here you have that, that David is talking about those who hasten after other gods, their sorrows will be multiplied. But in contrast, those who hasten after our Lord, their joy will be full. You can say their joy will be multiplied, overflowing, as full as full can be. He talks about that I will not take up their drink offerings of blood. And blood is the idea of life, or, or the sacrifice of life, or the giving of life. 
and you recognize that we will give our life in the pursuit of something that will be our God. We will give our life in the pursuit of something that will be our master or our ruler, that which we look to for provision, that which we look to as our hope and our refuge. And he says that is to be our God. And the Lord is our portion. I want to just meditate on this for a little bit and we'll close with this concept. But David's rejoicing in the Lord as our inheritance ourself. But it's not just heaven one day, it's not just the things that the Lord gives, but the Lord himself being our inheritance. Inheritance meaning our life, our sustenance, our provision, that which is able to keep us and I love that, that he not only says that his lines have fallen to us in a good place, but then he says, he, he says this. He says, you maintain my lot. Now, the idea here of lot is not like, because it's sort of confusing in, in terms of inheritance. This is not talking about like a property lot, you know, a lot of property or something like that. This is talking about that, that they drew lots for the inheritance originally, right? And so that which had fallen unto him, and, and had been given to him through lots, that the Lord maintains that. That the Lord was one maintaining this inheritance. And what a precious reality that not only is the Lord our inheritance, but that he is able to keep us in that inheritance. That he is able to provide for us in that inheritance. That he is the one maintaining that. That, that though we be unfaithful, yet he is faithful. He is the one providing in this inheritance as it says in in first peter it says blessed be the god and father this is chapter one of our lord jesus christ which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a living hope by the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and of course who is this living hope It's jesus to an inheritance incorruptible undefiled that fades not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of god through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And so here we have this, this, almost this parallel concept where we have a living hope in the Lord Jesus Christ that when he was raised again from the dead, our hope is now alive. That though he died, and if you think about the disciples, when Jesus died, everything that was their hope died. Everything where their confidence lied, died. And yet he raised him again, and we have a living hope because Jesus has been raised again from the dead. That our hope is not dead, but is living and active and powerful. And he raised him to the right hand of the Father, where we have this inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that will not fade away. And we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, for now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And then the next chapter, he's talking about Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And he says, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. But to those who believe, he is precious. And with David, we can say, yea, the lions have fallen to me in pleasant places 
but the Lord himself is my portion. Sure, the world got all this, and maybe my older brothers got all the inheritance, and I'm in a cave, and, and Saul's coming to kill me, and all the priests, because of me, right? It was David's fault that, that, that Doeg killed them all, and he blames himself for that. He says, because of me, all the priests have been killed, and, and yet the lines have fallen on me in pleasant places. I have a good inheritance to those who believe he is precious. He is, he is and, and the idea of precious here is far beyond the preciousness of rubies or jewels or, or gold or the things of this world, that though you own the whole world, that he is more precious. That there's no preciousness that compares. As it says in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. I believe until we have come to that place where we can say with the psalmist, there is none upon earth that I desire beside you. Whom I I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth that I desire beside you. That we truly don't know discipleship of Jesus. But it's when we've come to that place where it's that he and he alone is that upon the earth which we desire. That, that in comparison that we hate father and mother and wife and children and, and the things of this world are, are grim and dim as it were in light of his glory and grace. Until we've come to that place, I don't think that we've known what true discipleship is. And yet, for those of us who believe, he is preciousness. And so that's my encouragement today, is to, to, to meditate and remember the preciousness of the inheritance that we have in Jesus. That we have a goodly inheritance. That he himself is our lot. And, and, and you know, somebody once told me a definition of contentment. And the definition of contentment was this. To want what you have. In other words, what I have, that's all I need. There's nothing outside of it that I need. There's nothing, right, to want what you have. And, and, and what contentment we can find to have him who is precious. To have this goodly inheritance in the Lord but sure, there's those who are, who are hastening after other gods and are hastening after the things of this world, and their sorrows be multiplied, and yet we have him. What else could we desire? Whatever things in heaven or earth could we want? Whatever pursuit could there be? And in that reality, we can rejoice and be content, though we find ourselves in difficulty, though we find ourselves with the whole world turning against us and us living in a cave with them seeking our life, Though we find ourselves in a situation where we can look and go, wow, my, my actions just got all the priests of God killed. And, 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 and yet, our inheritance is good. Because we have the Lord who is our portion forever. Let's pray. Lord, I pray this wouldn't just be a, a theory for us, but that it be a reality that sinks in. That though the people of this world hasten after the things of this world, that we are content because you 
yourself are our portion because you are precious to us. Lord, would we see this preciousness of Christ? Would we see this goodly inheritance that we have? And I pray that our souls would also be able to say that which the psalmist says, that there is none in heaven that we desire but you. Nothing on earth that we desire but you. That our hope, that our satisfaction, that our sustainment, that our rest, that our life would truly be found in you who are our portion. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.